We are going to finish up our series today, actually. Uh, we've been in this series uh, called He Shall Be Called, and we're looking, if you remember last week, um, in, in the scripture, it doesn't use the plural names, it's just the name of Jesus that he was given, and all of these aspects, all of these, uh, it's, it's almost like describing his character, uh, these, these, these titles that are given to him. And if you recall, four weeks ago, we began with Wonderful Counselor. And we went from there to Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And today we're going to wrap up with Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And I think it's so wonderful the way that it's, it's all kind of come together. And we've hit it in the right uh, moment, the right week. So we're actually talking about peace in our, our Advent here as we prepare for the coming of Christ and to celebrate that. And so uh, it's just this week is about peace. Now, I don't know about you and uh, the world that you live in. But I would love to discover more peace in my life. Uh, as you look around and, and look at everything that's happening, um, you know, how many would say that, yes, we need peace in our lives, considering all the things that are going on. And, you know, uh, we're going to go to the, the main scripture that we've been talking about throughout this series and from Isaiah chapter 9, if you want to turn there. And I, I want to challenge you as we read the scripture, as we look at the word of God, we understand, and, and I, I don't think anybody in the room would necessarily say that that's not true, but when we read this, let me tell you that it's true. It's true. And sometimes it's challenging to marry up what it says with what we see, or maybe what we feel, right? And so, you know, and that's, that's the part, and that's the beauty of, you know, reading the word of God, and, and as it's, it's termed, you know, wrestling with the word of God, and asking God to show us because if it's in scripture, then we can, we can take it to the bank, you know? And so, again, as we read this, I, I want you to think about that. And I also want you to think about this. And, and we're going to unpack this really well today, I think. But, but ask yourself those questions of, you know, is this, do I believe this, that this is true with all my heart? And here's another question. Am I living in such a way that it lines up with what the scripture says? Am I living my life in such a way that, that I'm living it in a way that would be obvious to someone from the outside that I believe what the Word of God says, okay? And if you're not quite there, meaning if you have those questions, but you maybe can't quite say 100% the answer is yes, it's okay. You're in good company, and you're in a good place today, because we're going to, again, we're going to walk through this, and we're going to unpack this, and I pray that you will be blessed uh, by what uh, the places we'll go today as we talk about the Prince of Peace. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 uh, should be up on the screen as well. It reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so as we read through that and we see this, this name, Prince of Peace, and we see, again, just throughout the rest of, of, of verse 7 there, in the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now, again, if you walk out and click on the TV and, or go online and, you know, it, you look at the world around us and it seems like peace is just almost like a vapor or a mirage in the distance, doesn't it? Like, where, where do we see peace? Where do we find peace in the world? And as we, you know, walk this out today, just with, in full view of, of kind of where we've come from, where we started with a wonderful counselor, that, that Jesus is, is wise beyond what we can ever imagine. That's that word wonderful. Again, we use it to describe lots of things, but it's really designed when we're de trying to, to describe who God is. He's wonderful, meaning it's beyond what we can comprehend. And he is wonderful, and he's a counselor, not in the sense of somebody like we would sit down with here that can empathize or sympathize or give us advice, but somebody that has authority over our situation, somebody that can speak into our life and into our situation and can do something about it. Amen? And he's, he's also our mighty God, as, as Pastor Tony preached a few weeks back, that mighty, he's powerful, he's beyond comprehension, he's, he's, he's ruler over all, and nothing can overcome him. And for some of us here today, we need to re be reminded of that. 
We do not serve a God that's, that's dead and still in the grave. We do not serve a God that is on equal playing field with, with the kingdom of darkness or something else, but that a God that is supreme over all and that he is mighty. There's strength and power that comes from him to equip us to walk out our life here on earth. He's also our everlasting father. And we talked about this last week that he came to earth and, and he forever watching. He's from this point when he was born on that he took on this role as everlasting father to watch over his people and care for their needs. Jesus Christ cares about you. Jesus loves you and he loves me. He cares about what you care about. He cares about that concern, no matter how big or how small. He cares. And some of us need to be reminded of that in this room today. Jesus cares. Jesus sees your pain. Jesus knows your pain. He is not a savior that somehow just like reads about it in a book or sees it from far away. But I mean, Jesus is called a man of sorrows. When he walked this earth, he was abandoned, he was betrayed, he was beaten, and he was crucified. So he understands your situation today. And we can find comfort in knowing that. And again, finally today, he is the Prince of Peace. And this is where we're going to be spending our time today. You know, we sang that song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And uh, I, I joked about it earlier in the first service, and the same one in this service. Those Glorias, man, they just take, out, take it out of you, don't they? Like, holding out glow. Were you all singing that? I had to take a breath in there. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know. You know, my face was turning purple. And... But in that song, though, you know, we, we sing these songs, and, you know, we love it, and, and we sing these hymns. But listen to, to what the, the words are saying. It says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Powerful, right? Powerful words. Words that, if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in the melody, we can get so caught up, and it's great, it's fun, it's great to sing, and it's great, you know, we hear the voices today, you know, as we sing these Christmas carols, and you're all sounding amazing, but let us not miss the point of it all, <laughs> We're proclaiming, we're raising our voices, we're worshiping God, we're hailing him as, as the heaven-born prince of peace. Amen? The prince of peace. Many of you uh, know some of my story. You know, before this, we were in Kuwait for nearly a decade, Kuwait in the Middle East. Um, and uh, part of my time there was I got to work on the, the helicopters that flew around the royal family, like the, the emir, the crown prince, the, the rulers and stuff. And interesting, you know, they would never fly. They couldn't, they didn't fly on the same helicopter in case there was a crash, you know, that was not good. Um, and so they would always fly separate. And the crown prince is kind of the second, he's like the heir to the throne, if you will. Not actually a son of the emir, but in the same family. And I remember, you know, we would, we would have to go out onto the sites where uh, the emir, where they were flying into. So we would have to drive. We didn't get to take the helicopters that we worked on. Um, so it took us, you know, like a couple hours usually to get to where we were going, and we had to be out there present. And I remember this one event, and you're never going to guess what it was in a million years. It was um, actually a camel show um, where they would fly camels in from all. Anybody been to one of those? Uh, yeah? Okay. Um, they would fly camels in from all over the region, and it was the most interesting thing I think I've ever seen in my life. So they would have like, because the, the breeders, the, the people that, you know, had these camels that owned, they were like super, this was like, you know, proud moment. And so the guy would be out front and he's got the male, you know, out front, the male camel. And they got like speakers and they got music, you know, like, they're walking. And behind this male, there's like 30 females, camels, right? And it's just like this show and they're walking by. And the whole thing is the emir, the ruler of Kuwait is going to pick one camel that is the best in class of, of all. And so you're literally out in the middle of nowhere. There's like in the desert, we just pick a spot. We're supposed to, I don't know how we even found it. And so we're out there and there's just like cars everywhere. They're all waiting, anticipating the arrival of the emir and the crown prince, the royal family's all coming. And so me and my buddies, my coworkers are out there and we've got to help like land these helicopters. You know, we, we like guide them in and stuff with signals and then they kind of come in. And Somebody came up with a really great idea, heavy, heavy sarcasm used there, um, that they put gravel down in the desert, you know, in the sand to give it like a harder surface. Now, 
I'm sure most of you in here have never stood underneath a helicopter when it's coming in for a landing. Your hair would look very different. Uh, some of you look maybe like you stood in there too long, but sorry, it's just a joke. Um, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a lot of wind, right? It's a lot of wind that comes down. And so we're standing there, and we're freaking out, first of all, because we realize what's about to happen. And we've got to walk out there. And so we're guiding them in. And sure enough, once they get to a certain place, you know, it's called rotor wash. And this stuff is blowing. And so next thing you know, you're getting the best exfoliating experience of your entire life. And so we're getting pelted, like, with these rocks, right, this gravel. We're trying to land. And there's sand and dust and rocks just, like, hitting us in the face. So we get them landed somehow by God's grace. Um, and, and so I step back. This was one of the first times I'd... I kind of had been probably close to, to the, the emir and the crown prince. I mean, literally, I'm like from here to maybe halfway back in the room from the ruler of Kuwait. And so uh, my credentials did check out, by the way, just so you know. Um, and so I'm standing there, and, and so the emir comes off, and I see the crown prince. And one thing you have to understand about the culture there is they're not, they're not worshipped, as, as, but, but they're, they're, high, they're held in such a very high esteem that their pictures are all over Kuwait. There's banners. Every building you go into, there's huge pictures of the Emir and Crown Prince. So everybody knows these guys. Let me just say that the pictures I saw around Kuwait did not match with the person that was coming <laughs> off the helicopter. And I was like, huh. you know, like, you're a little shorter, a little more wrinkly uh, than I had expected, you know. And, and so it was just kind of a shock to me and I, I, was, I was standing there and like, okay, that's, that's different. That's not what I had expected, uh, Emir and Crown Prince, just because of what had been portrayed. Can I share just one other funny story? Just totally off subject, but it kind of fun to just share. Um, so when they went to leave, right? And so you should see like the, the swarm of people, right? All the photographers and journalists and stuff. And they're with them. And so they're starting to crank up, right? The, the helicopters and this one photographer. So we learned like... We said, you guys, listen, we're not standing out here again. When you take off, we're going to pull back behind the berm because there's gravel flying everywhere. We tried to tell everybody, everybody but one guy listened. And so we had this photographer with all this nice equipment and lenses and stuff just standing there by the helicopter. And we're like, we tried to tell him he didn't listen. All right, well, I'm going to step back and get my camera out now because this is going to be really good. <laughs> and, uh, and so... Yeah, he stands there, you know, and it's, it's okay when it's just running, but when they pull what's called the collective, when those blades turn and it's going to lift off, that's when everything, the show happens. And uh, sure enough, I mean, you could even see the guy. <laughs> just like, woo, you see this cloud, and he just, anyway, I don't think his equipment was the same after, uh, he did survive to tell the story, but we're just like, tried to tell you, but anyway, just a funny story. Let me get back to my point, though. Uh, the point, though, is this, is that, you know, even in our culture, in our society, you know, how many of you have, um, maybe you're guilty of this too, taking your pictures, your selfies, and you use all the filters, and, and nobody in here, I know, nobody. But have you had that though, where your friends, they, they post a picture, and you're like, come on. I know what you look like in real life. <laughs> this, is, this skin is a lot smoother than what I remember. But, you know, but it's our culture, isn't it? We post these things, and we want to look a certain way, but you know that the real thing doesn't measure up. Pastor Dell, where are you going? Here it comes. Listen, the good news is that when we read about Jesus in the Scripture, when we read about this Prince of Peace, and that, again, he's to establish and uphold his kingdom with justice and with righteousness, and that there is a peace that will not end, Jesus fits the bill and even beyond. Jesus completely measures up to his reputation. Amen? We don't have to be disappointed. We don't have to be let down that, well, he, he's not the Jesus that I thought he was. Because he is. And so that is an encouragement to us today. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you now to turn over to John chapter 16. And this is going to be some of the, the text where we're going to kind of sit on it for a little bit today and, and, and unpack. But John chapter 16, beginning in verse 25, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples and this is what he says. He says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer, will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. 
In that day you will ask in my name, and I, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I come from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And here comes a little teaching moment from Jesus. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Again, Jesus saw very clearly what was going to happen when the persecution came, when he was taken into captivity. And sure enough, like cockroaches, right? When the light came on, they, they, they fled, the disciples fled. But he goes on to say, he says, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And here it is, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for today. God, I thank you for this opportunity to just share your word with your people. God, I pray that your word would again speak to us in such a real and profound way that it would um, unlock some things for us, maybe some struggles that we've been having, maybe some clarity that needs to be brought. Lord, I pray that happens today. God, I pray, Lord, that, again, that your word will land in such a place in our hearts, in our lives, that it, it produces change. And that is the whole reason why we do what we do, is, God, we, we want to become more like Christ. So, God, that is my prayer. That is our prayer today. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you a, a story about, about two little boys. And I had to find a story because I, I didn't want to put my kids out there uh, in this regard. Uh, I do it most of the time, I know. But this time, I was like, I'm not going to do it to you guys. So I came across this, and it's about two little boys, ages 8 and 10. And again, there's no connection to my family in this, just to be clear. No, just kidding. It's not. It's really not. Um, there, so there were two little boys, ages 8 and 10, and who were excessively mischievous. The two were always getting into trouble, and their parents could be assured that if any mischief occurred in their town, their two young sons were in some way involved. Any amens? All right. The parents were at their wit's end as to what to do about their son's behavior. The mother had heard about a clergyman in town and had been successful in dis that had been successful in disciplining children in the past and so she asked her husband if he thought they should send the boys to speak with the clergyman pause that's not me <laughs> those are your kids and i'm just kidding so if you need help pastor tony has offered they just just push them that way uh cindy she's not here either so i'll volunteer her i think she's downstairs um no, but you can, of course, you can always contact us, and we would be happy to help. But anyway, uh, so here we are, so we have this scene, and so the husband responds to his wife's uh, idea, and he says, well, we might as well, we need to do something before I really lose my temper. The clergyman agreed to speak with the boys, but asked to see them individually. The eight-year-old went to meet with him first, and the clergyman sat the boy down and asked him sternly, where is God? The boy made no response. So the clergyman repeated the question in an even sterner tone. Where is God? Again, the boy made no attempt to answer. So the clergyman raised his voice even more and shook his finger in the boy's face. Where is God? At that, the boy bolted from the room and ran directly home slamming himself in the closet. His older brother followed him into the closet and asked, what had happened? The younger boy replied, we are in big trouble. <laughs> this time, they think that God is missing and that we had taken it, that we did it. <laughs> so here we have this 
seen, and obviously the clergyman was looking for something, a different answer than that, right, to the question of where is God. Here these boys were thinking that they were being blamed because God, that nobody could find him anymore. But sometimes I wonder, as, as, as we look at this, and I wonder if it strikes a little closer to home maybe than, than we're maybe seeing here. Meaning, when we read passages of Scripture like the one from John 16 telling us that, that to be at peace and that Jesus has overcome the world, but then we look around and we go out into the world and, and we have you know, the same thought maybe that these boys are having that God is missing somehow from this equation. You know, we see the wars happening. We, we turn on the news and we see the, the, the shootings in Chicago and we're like, God, God, where are you in all of this? And I believe with all my heart that I'm not the only one in this room that feels that way. Again, this is that, that moment where we read something in Scripture that I think we know is true or we want to believe it's true, but then we look with our eyes and we're trying to like match that up to say, how, how does this work, Lord? How are you at work? You know, how are you at work when, when that, 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 that miscarriage takes place? Or how are you at work when this senseless murder takes place? Or how are you at work when there's this abuse happening in this home? How, how, how are you at work? Where are you? And it's a question I think we wrestle with at times. And again, I, I don't think we have to, to go very far to see, again, that 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 peace that we read about, that peace that we know should be there, almost is like that mirage in the desert, you know, that, that you see in the distance, and every time you think you're just about to reach it, it just kind of vanishes. You know, you, we can't quite get there. We see war happening all over, and violence. A former president of, of the Norwegian Academy of Sciences, along with some historians from England, Egypt, and Germany, and India, they, they came up with some startling statistics that I want to share with you today. This is in regards to wars that have taken place. It says, 3600 BC, the world has only known 292 years of peace. Like where the world as a whole was at peace. 292 years. During this period, there have been 14,351 wars, large and small, that have taken place. In this time, 3.64 billion people have been killed throughout these, these wars that have happened. Here's, a, here's one that is, is, gonna, is just staggering. The value of the property that's been destroyed throughout this time, these wars, would pay for a golden belt around the world that's 97.2 miles wide and 33 feet thick. That's how much destruction has taken place, how, much, how many things have been destroyed, the loss and expense of money. And since 650 B.C., there have also been 1,656 arms races, which are developing and accumulating the most weapons, different countries that do this. And only 16 of those 1,656 arms races have ended in war. Or sorry, have not ended in war. Only 16 have not ended in war. And the remainder ended in the economic collapse of the countries involved. So I ask you the question then today, and I've kind of alluded to it already, but my question, your question maybe today is, is so where in the world does the Prince of Peace that's talked about in Isaiah fit into this landscape? Right? Where? God, I believe you. God, I believe that you are the Prince of Peace, but when I see and what I look at and what I see throughout history, there is not a lot of peace. And so today... For the next moments that we're together here, I want to just take some time and we're going to unpack like we have in the past. We're going to unpack what is it that, that this name, Prince of Peace, really means. So to begin, the, this name Prince, and, and many of us know that we're familiar with the word Prince, the title Prince, um, not the singer, by the way, some of you. Um, but the Prince, you know, a lot of times, I know my wife likes enjoys watching and some other people, the the, like the crown, like the British, you know, whole 
uh, royal family, the history and stuff. And throughout there, we see a lot of princes. We see other countries that have princes. And some are good, but some are not very good, okay? So we can't really gauge the title prince by maybe what we've seen or what we know of, of what prince is. Um, but the Hebrew for prince is the word sar, sar, S-A-R. And it means t chief, ruler, official, captain, or prince, and it's actually where the, the name, if, if you look in scripture where Caesar comes from, Caesar, it comes from this word, Tsar. And also, perhaps maybe some of you have got this uh, back in, when, from Russian emperors, right? They were called Tsars. And this all comes from this root word meaning Tsar. So understand that with that, that term prince, it definitely is you know, a, a title given that is, is honorable and that has power behind it. Uh, as the prince would be carrying out, you know, um, the rule on behalf of the king or the queen. Webster's Dictionary it, it defines as, as, it as monarch, king, uh, the ruler of a, a principality or state, a male member of a royal family, and especially a son of the sovereign, a nobleman of varying rank and status. And so, again, all of these things kind of help us understand that a prince, you know, whatever your negative view of maybe a prince, a prince might be, it's, it's, it's not what's being talked about here. Prince carries an honor and a respect, not because, just because of the role necessarily, but, but because of the, the, the person that's bearing that title and what they accomplish and what they're doing and the authority that they have. And so again, when we're speaking of Jesus here and using this word prince, we understand that it comes with it a weightiness and, and a, an authority um, that only Jesus can carry. And so again, we, we see this word prince and behind it, we see this word peace. Now, some of you may know this, but the majority in the Old Testament, the, the, the word peace, it comes from the word shalom. Shalom. And in the Old Testament, it, it carries the fundamental idea of welfare, prosperity, or wholeness, as well as the absence of hostility. Okay? So, again, it's, 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 there's like a... It's, it's an internal, and, and, and you're doing well personally, but even around you, there's, there's this absence of hostility. And it also holds with it the idea, again, it's, it's not the idea, you know, we can think of peace, and it, we can like, kind of water it down quite a bit, just in our English language. But it, it means so much more, because it also brings with it this idea of tying together as a whole, when all the essential parts um, really come together and are joined together. That's, that's peace, that's harmony. You know, you think maybe about like a, a, a rowing team or something, and, and you know, if they're all trying to do their own thing, it's just the boat's spinning around and everything else, but when they get in, in unison and there's harmony and they're rowing to the same pace and the same cadence, that's when there's this just moving and gliding through the water together. And that's kind of this idea of what peace is. And so God truly is, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He's our Sar Shalom. And, and so with that, I want that picture in your mind as we now move forward, and I want to talk about some different areas of peace that we may be struggling with today. The first one, and you know, I think this is, in one sense, probably the most challenging at times, but it's the area that we come to, and it's peace with ourselves. Peace with ourselves. Now, understand that we were not born Christian. We were not born followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? We, you understand that. We were born into sin. We were born uh, as enemies of God, if you will, because of our sin. And depending on when you came to Christ, especially if you came in later in life, you know, I would say that there are most of us in here, as we look back, and maybe in our past and our history, there are things that we have done or had done that we are not, a that we are not proud of, that we are ashamed of. And, you know, one of the things I hear uh, oftentimes, and, and it drives me nuts, and if you want to get me out of my seat, I, this will do it, it's when people have the, the boldness to say that I have no regrets in my life. And I sit there, and I, I, I scratch my head, I'm like, are you, like, are you serious right now? Like, there's not one thing, if you could go back and change it, you would go back and do it differently. You've done, you've done it that well throughout your life. Because, you know, I shared this story with the, the, the first uh, service. 
I mean, the other day, it was when it was still nice weather, and I was coming to the church here, and, you know, I've got my praise and worship music going, and I'm getting all geared up to see all of you, and it's really just a beautiful day. The birds were chirping, and sun was out, and I'm driving along, and this beautiful cardinal is flying, and it decides to fly in front of my truck. You probably can understand who won that experience, and the cardinal hit my windshield, and it flew over. And it, was, it died. It was laying on the, the, the road behind me. You know, I wish I could go back and change that experience. You know? I mean, it seems simple. Maybe not a big deal. Maybe there's something much deeper. But I'm not going to share that in front of all of you. But, um, but, you know, there are things in life that we wish would have happened differently. Right? If I'd have been just a little bit slower, the cardinal would have made it across. And who knows? It could have gone back and lived a long, prosperous life. But it didn't happen that way. And so we need to understand that, you know, with our background and what we have come out of, there can be shame that comes from that. There can be kind of this, this reminder. And, and Satan wants nothing more than to always bring back to your remembrance of who you were before Christ. What you, what you did back then. You remember, you know, that one time when you did this. And if Satan doesn't do it, we all have those people in our life that were maybe newest back then. That will be sure to bring that up, especially if they see that we're a Christian now and they're not, and they want to kind of remind us of our humble beginnings. But let me just say this. When, when those things come up and those memories come up or those, those, that shame comes up, what that should do is that should turn your eyes and put your attention back to the cross to recognize what you were saved from. The amount of sin and how great your sin was just gives us a little bit of reflection of how great the price was for your salvation. That's how those moments need to be used, is to say, God, I couldn't save myself. <laughs> I am not worthy in and of myself. I am not good enough in and of myself to be saved, to be accepted before a holy and awesome God. Thank you for saving me in spite of myself. And so if you're here in this place, there's, there's, there's a reminder here, there's a hope here for you as you, 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 you try to live at peace with yourself. In Romans 8, verse 6, it says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And I don't want to make light, and, and maybe that was not a good example with the bird, and it's, it's a very small thing, but I understand there can be very deep, dark wounds from your past here. And you need to keep your mind, as, as the word says here in Romans, to set your mind on the spirit. And, and by doing that, by being in the word of God, by allowing God to speak and, and, and to, to, to minister to your soul, you then can experience life and peace. I know it's not easy. You know, I have the things from my own past. And the reality is, too, is even after we become Christians, we still mess up, don't we? We're still capable to do foolish things. But do you know what? <laughs> there's grace, there's mercy, and there's the cross, which is constantly there there's forgiveness as a breath away. And to know that we are forgiven, that we are accepted before God through Jesus Christ and the blood of the cross. That's hope for us today. And you can come to a place where you've, you've found peace with yourself. The second place that sometimes we can maybe struggle to, to find peace, and as we're talking about, you know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace and how he helps us and brings us into this is, is peace with others. Peace with others, and you know, it's it's sad to me. Uh, I think this season in general, this time of year, but just with everything that's been happening, there's there's just so much division happening. Not just random people, but within families, within churches. But we are to live as best we can at peace with others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, don't forget, you know, that small little phrase, you know, we're also supposed to love our enemies, right? We're supposed to, that's, we'll save that for another sermon. But, but we are to do our best in this life to live at peace with those around us. 
In Mark chapter 9, verse 50, it says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So again, in the body of Christ, and now I, I understand completely as well, because having experienced it, you know, some of the greatest hurt can come from within the church, within the body of Christ, right? We tend to give those people place in our lives. We, we tend to, you know, which we were supposed to do. We're a family, right? We're the family of God. And, and so when we, when we do life together, when we walk our lives together through, through thick and thin, through the highs and lows, you can bet that you are going to have plenty of chances to be offended. How many of you have been offended with me? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Just say, yeah, my wife's in the back raising her both hands. Um, no, we have, we have, you don't have to look far for offense, do you? <laughs> it's just there, you know, because we're people. We, we, we make mistakes, and, and, but we're called to live together. Why? Because that's the beauty. That's when, when people see all of these different faces and people go downtown singing Christmas carols together. They're like, what in the, how does this all work together? <laughs> well, it's Jesus. It's a constant reflection and a reminder of who Jesus is and, and how he brings his people together. That we can walk in love with one another. That we can walk and we can forgive one another. And we can be an example because that's how people know us. That's how they know our testimony is because we love one another. And so we need to strive for peace with others and especially peace within the body of Christ because that is our testimony. Whatever it is today that you're holding on to against that person in the body of Christ, you have no right. <laughs> if you're a believer, you know what? Jesus has paid for that sin. You have no right to hold forgiveness and not give it. Did you know that? Those are hard words, and it's not easy all the time. And sometimes it's a process, and we have to keep working towards it. But don't think like, no, no, that, was, that one I'm not forgiving. You've gone too far. How many times has Jesus had the opportunity to say that to us? <laughs> well, Bob, uh, back here it was one thing, but you just stepped over the line, buddy. My forgiveness is over. Is that how we're treated? <laughs> no. I don't know about you, but that line was probably a long time ago for me. <laughs> I need forgiveness. I need grace and mercy and all those things that the Word of God promises. I cling to those words, by the way. Because no matter how hard I try, you know, we can't get it perfect. We're not perfect. But that's the beauty. That's, that's what we strive for. and That's, that's what we trust God for, is, is to lead us and to help us to walk in love with one another. And if you're here today and you're struggling with forgiveness, sometimes you need God, you need God to help you with that. Sometimes you can't get to that place on your own. You need the power of God to forgive. You know, I, for just the top of my head, like, you know, you think the story of Elizabeth Elliot always, is always put out there. Most of us know it. You know, she stood face to face with the people that murdered her husband, missionaries. And she forgave them. And what came from that is, is staggering. And that, that tribe, how they came to know Christ because of her forgiveness. Do you think in and of herself she had that? No, you just killed my husband. But because of God living in her, Jesus being resident inside her life, she was able to extend a forgiveness that is not of this earth and be able to say with a pure heart that I forgive you. And it, it blew their mind. Their weapons had no authority anymore. They couldn't do anything. They're like, what is this? So we need to be at peace with others. And lastly, and this is probably the most important, not probably, this is the most important is we need to come to a place where we have peace with God. Peace with God. In Romans 8, 7, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So catch that again. These are, these are things we can just blow by. You know, it's not, if, if you're not, if your mind, again, is not on Christ, if it's, if it's, if it's on the things of this world, if it's on the things of the flesh, you're not just like in a holding pattern with God. You are hostile towards God. 
And if there's, let me give you some pastoral advice. If there's anybody that you, you know, don't want to be at war with, God's probably, the, should be top of your list. All right? God should probably be top of your list. We do not want to be found hostile towards God. But, but, but again, when we, when we don't know Christ, those that don't know Christ, again, that's, where we, that's where we all were, right? Before we came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and, and make that, that profession of our faith, we were hostile towards God. We were enemies of God because of our sin. And Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, what? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we have peace with God. It doesn't matter what you do, how good you are, what, how good you think you are. The only way we find peace with God is through Jesus Christ. I shared this you know, before, and I'll share it again. Because, you know, the, the scripture talks about being in Christ. It talks about putting on righteousness. And uh, I've used this example before about, you know, when you go to Disneyland or Disney World. And anybody heard of Mickey Mouse? God bless you, three of you. Yeah, I know. No wonder you're all sad and upset. You need to find out who Mickey Mouse is. Just kidding. Um, so, but when you go to Disney World, you know, are there kids in here? No, not, not older kids. So if you didn't know, and some people got a little, their rough, feathers ruffled a little bit in the first service, but, you know, when you go to Disney World and you see Mickey Mouse, you know, the big Mickey Mouse that comes out walking, I think that's how they look, that's, at least in my mind, that, that, that's not really Mickey Mouse. Did you know that? No. I'm sorry, Dave. It's no. true. True story. <laughs> I, I checked. It, it's true. It's, the, you know, what it is is there's a person that's inside of Mickey in, in that costume, Right? Now, you don't know that person from anybody. You know, who here as parents, don't raise your hand, who here as parents would say, hey, go up to that total stranger and give him a hug and take a picture with him? You know, that's the opposite of what you tell your kids, right? But we walk into to Disney World or Disneyland, right? There's Mickey Mouse. Go on, you know. And they, you know, they, they jump out. They're sitting on their lap. Mickey Mouse is standing there. The person that's wearing that costume you don't know anything about them. They could be an axe murderer. I don't think that's the case, but they could be. <laughs> but this is what happens, right? Because they're in Mickey Mouse, they're wearing that costume, they get the benefit of the love and the reputation and all the good things and the hugs and the, the, the publicity because of who they're in, that, that they, they're in Mickey Mouse. Well, guess what? In our, in our walk, in our Christian walk with God, because we are in Christ Jesus, that is why we are accepted to a holy and a powerful and mighty God. That is why we're seen, you know, clean and pure. It's not because we've arrived. Three of you needed to hear that today. You haven't arrived. We are not there. It's just because we are found in Christ Jesus. And so, again, when we've come to this place of having peace with God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. <laughs> you want the gospel message? That's it. There's nothing. It's plus nothing. That's it. It's because of Jesus. Peace with God. Going back to Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I won't have you do the Glorias, but going back to the verse, it says, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, glory to the newborn king. Here it is. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Amen. You want to talk about some beautiful words, that we are reconciled with God, with our creator, with our maker, not because of what we've done that we've earned it in any kind of way, but because of what his son Jesus did, because of the Prince of Peace, we have been able to come into the family of God, be able to be accepted with God, and we are now at peace with God Almighty. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He is our Sar Shalom. In John 14, 27, Jesus says this. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Now notice what he says. Not, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus promised, he's, he's, he's given us his peace. He has given us himself, right? And so we have this peace. He's, he's left it with us. We have it. But notice that it's not the way that the world gives peace. Why? Because the world will never find peace. They find remnants or glimpses or maybe a small season of peace, but we can't. It's impossible because it's, our nature is so selfish and we want control and we want power and we want all these things, right? Look at the music industry. Look at Hollywood. Look at whoever you, you can comes to your mind that has wealth or, or, or status. And 99.9% .9 of those people, they're miserable. Why? Because they got to this place only to find that it's left them wanting, that they're still not at peace. Why? Because they're still at war. They're still an enemy of God. Because they thought they could achieve it on their own. And so again, we need to come back to that place and remember that it is through Jesus and, 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 and this peace comes in a way that the world cannot give. Remember what we read earlier. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, at the beginning of creation with Adam and Eve, there was a moment where there was peace on the world, in the world. There was peace on earth. There was, it was the most wonderful, peaceful place you could imagine. But what happened is when, when they chose to sin, and they surrendered basically the title, the deed, if you will. Because God had given them, right? He said, have dominion. You have, I give you dominion over this earth, over all things on this earth. And when they chose to sin and go against what God had said, it's basically like they signed over the deed to Satan and said, here you go. Because what's Satan called? He's called the prince of this world, right? The prince of the air. He has a legal right, if you will, to what he's doing here on earth. Because it was surrendered back there at the beginning. But praise God, it wasn't a surprise to God, amen? There was a plan in place. And so, you know, Jesus is called the, what, the second Adam, or, or better, better probably term is the last Adam, right? He came to restore and to make things right. Now, this earth and this world is dying. It's perishing because it's, it's, there's sin and death. And so we see these things around us, but we can still have peace, here, can't we? We can still have peace in our lives. And Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation. I mean, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was persecuted. Again, 11 of the 12 apostles, disciples, were martyred for their faith. So we, we can expect there's going to be hard times. But we can also expect in those moments and in those places that Jesus is there and Jesus is present. In the 23rd Psalm, you know, when, when he, he talks about laying out, pre, uh, preparing a table before us, right? It says, he prepares a table in the presence of our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ and all those people we like. Is that what it says? Oh, I got the wrong translation, sorry. No, it says what? It says that he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. Do you ever stop and think about these things? Or am I the only? Do you ever stop and like, you know, how about like, Preparing like a, a cannon, a sword, or flamethrower, or a tank, something like that, and if I'm in the presence of my enemies, that seems much more fitting to me. I don't know, I mean, I can swing a pretty good-sized table, but it's not, it's not talking about that, is it? He, he lays out a meal for us. He says, sit down, relax. You are welcome here. You are now under my care. That's what that is. When you are welcome to the table, you are now in his charge. He is now responsible for you. And so he's saying, sit down. Here's a meal. Let me take care of this. And you know what that battle looks like? It's kind of something like this. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Why? Because we can have peace 
even in the, the, the greatest battle, even in the hardest moment, even when we're being mistreated and misused in, in the worst way, we can have the peace of God that is still present in our lives. And we should. As we kind of wrap this up and bring this to a close today, I want to share a, a story that's, that's a true story. That it was in 1555. And a man by the name of Nicholas Ridley, he was going to be burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. I don't know if you've read, you know, if you read much, again, I, I doubt it's, you don't want to read it all the time, but, you know, it, it is healthy to go and to read about some of the martyrs that have come before us. There's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. There's a lot of other books you can read. But you read these accounts, and, you know, I'll tell you this, it, it, it puts into perspective what we label as persecution. And I'm not saying, you know, you need to go out and find a, you know, push it to the limit to the place where you're going to get burned at the stake, but I'm just saying, like, what we call persecution, it's just not, it doesn't, what these people face, I mean, I don't think any of us have faced burn, being burned at the stake because of our faith. And so here's this man, Nicholas Ridley, and listen, listen to this. This is crazy. This is crazy. On the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. You know, I mean, it's, it's going down, right? Tomorrow is the day his life is over. And it's not, again, it's not the guillotine. It's not a firing squad. He's going to be burned alive. Horrific way to go to, for it to end. And so he's in this moment the night before, last night on earth. Tomorrow is going to be a horrific experience. His brother shows up, a familiar face, a loving face, and wants to be there with him overnight just to bring comfort and just to spend this last night. And listen to this. After his brother's offer to stay, Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life because he knew the peace of God and he could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord to meet his, his need. You see, that is, that, is the, that is what the peace of God is. This man is on the, the edge of his life. It's, it's, it's going to be over, and it's going to be a, a horrific ending. And yet he's experiencing a peace in himself, a peace that's coming from God. It really brings Philippians 4, 6 through 7 to life. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I believe with all my heart, church, you know, one of the reasons why that we have probably not maybe experienced this kind of peace is because we have, very few of us have ever been in that kind of a situation. And while I'm, I'm not saying, like I said before, I'm not saying you put yourself there, but if you do start to put yourself out there and you start to experience persecution, there's something about the, the, the closeness with God, and maybe you understand this to a point, if you've gone through a, a season of being in the valley, as we say, if you've gone through a season of loss or of, of pain or of suffering or you're facing tremendous persecution just because, you know, you profess to be a Christian, on whatever level that is. And there's something about that season, there's something about being in that place that brings us close to God. Most of us, when we're on the mountaintop, we tend to drift, don't we? We're comfortable, we kick our feet up. God, you, you take some time off, I'm, I'm doing all right, we're okay. I'll call you when it's an emergency. But God desires our relationship all the time. Even in the mountaintop, even in that, that place where we're comfortable, God still wants to be close. God still wants to be in our lives and be a part of it. And the thing is, again, <laughs> I don't want to sound crazy, but I believe there is a time coming where we are going to be facing persecution as a church, as Christians. Why? It's what we've talked about all day. 
The world is at war with God. The world is, is an enemy of God. And so if Jesus was persecuted, and he says this in his word, if they treated me this way, how do you think they're going to treat you? So let's not be surprised when it comes. And let us be ready and prepared. And I promise you, and again, we've probably been in, most of us have been in probably situations in our life where it was difficult enough. And if you walk through it the right way, you probably discovered a new depth to your faith. You've disco you discovered a new closeness that you can have with God through his Holy Spirit. You see, church, peace is not the absence of trouble. Instead, it is the presence of God in the middle of our trouble. Peace is not the absence of worry. Instead, it is the presence of God in the middle of our worries. Peace is not the absence of distress. Instead, it is the presence of God in the middle of our distress. Peace is not the absence of anxiety. Instead, it is the presence of God in the middle of our anxiety. And finally, peace is not the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God in the middle of our suffering. You see, God doesn't just, God's presence isn't something he just like descends. God's presence is the fact that he is present. He is with you. He is with me. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And in this season, as, as we come into Christmas, into the celebration of, of Jesus coming as a baby here on earth, we need to remember that it is, it is God has come to earth and that he is present. What do we have to fear? What? And if I'm coming across here today as somewhat passionate, I'm, I'm preaching to myself because I need to be reminded, God, what is it that the world could possibly do or take or throw at me that, that's going to somehow remove me from your presence? Where can I go? <laughs> How can I be separated? It can't happen. And so for you who are here today, for those of you watching online, whatever the situation that it is that you're in today, whatever the pain that you are experiencing, I promise you, if you look, that the peace of God is closer than you've ever realized. That you can have that place, you can have that peace while everything else is on fire around you, while everything else is crumbling and crashing down. You can have the peace of God. Why? Because we serve the Prince of Peace, amen? We serve the Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this, this time today, Lord God, to look at who you are as, as our Prince of Peace. You're not the prince that has peace. You are peace. You usher in peace. With who? With God Almighty, the God our Father. That we can, It starts there, that we can have relationship with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator, with our Maker. God, all that we need is found in you. God, let us truly be able to say that, that, that line, that phrase of, you can, you can take the world, you can take it all, you can have it all, but give me Jesus. Let that be the most important thing. Let us live our lives in a way that, that, that shows and demonstrates that, that Jesus truly is all that matters to us. Lord, for those in this place or watching online that perhaps hasn't, hasn't experienced, Lord, the, the Prince of Peace, hasn't experienced who you are, Lord, may today be that day. May they acknowledge you as, as Lord and Savior who, who died on the cross for their sin. May they confess that they're sinners and recognize that you died and you rose again on the third day, day and that you're seated at the right hand of the Father. And God, that you love them. And in that moment, Lord, I pray that today and in this season, that it would be the first time where they truly come to a place where they are at peace. 
God, I think of my brothers and sisters in the Middle East who, who come to know you as Lord and Savior. And that's, that is how they, they introduce themselves. They say that I'm a man or I'm a woman of peace. Because that is so closely connected, Lord, to who you are. And so, God, I pray that this season would truly be a season of peace for all of us. That there would be peace on earth and goodwill to men. And that we would know you, Lord, as our Prince of Peace, Lord. As our Sar Shalom. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for those who are here, both online and present, Father that you've spoken to our hearts. And God, that you have changed us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand?